Welcome to another episode of Sunrise Life, the podcast where we have deep conversations with freelance models. Today, I have Marina Fay on the other line. Say hello. Hi. So excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for taking the time to do the podcast with me. I'm really excited to get to know you. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so excited. So you're traveling in Chicago right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been here for about a week. And before that, I uh, was on tour in Florida and Atlanta. That's amazing. So are you flying from city to city then? It depends on how far the city is. So yeah. like around Florida, I was taking the trains or rented a car because, you know, that's kind of like closer. Mm-hmm. But then I flew from Florida to Atlanta and then I flew from Atlanta to Chicago as well. Right on. I creeped on your Instagram page for a while before we started, and I saw that you've got images from kind of all over the world. Like, how many places do you think you've traveled to? Oh, you know what? I was doing it. I counted it recently. Gosh, but I suck with with numbers. (laughs) So I I don't ever remember numbers. I think it's somewhere around 20 countries that I've been to, though, give or take. That's amazing. Yeah, but I, that's like my like my lifelong travels, not necessarily just my travels as a model. Yeah. Yeah, I always was traveling from a young age because my family is originally from Europe. So my parents kept the, the culture alive by going back to Czech Republic is where I'm originally from. Oh. And it's right in the center of Europe. So whenever we would go there, especially if my parents came with us, then we would regularly, you know, visit some of the neighboring countries and things like that. So that's awesome. Yeah. I've been very lucky. (laughs) That's really awesome. I've gone over to Europe a handful of times, but kind of like you, not all of them were like shoot tours. I have worked in Europe now, but it's a little bit different out there. So I usually I usually do it as a way to fundraise my trip back home as well, because I I definitely do have like strong roots in Czech Republic. So that's great. And are there photographers in Czech Republic that hire traveling models? There are, but um, I find that most of them don't have very good English skills. So I don't know. I mean, so I, I should say it this way. I've been hired in Czech Republic, but I speak the language. So it's been easy for me to, you know, do that. There are some photographers in Prague, especially that aren't originally Czech, though. So they speak English or another language. So I, I suspect that there would be some photographers that would hire traveling models. But yeah, the, the Czech, like the very Czech ones don't as much. That, that and I mean, nice. there's there's a huge network of Czech models in Czech Republic as well. So they have plenty of girls to shoot, even if they're not shooting international models. So that makes sense. And one of the reasons why I haven't like done a lot of trying to book work in Europe is that from what I'm told, the average going rates in Europe are somewhat lower than the average going rates for hiring models in the U.S. Do you find that that's accurate? Yes, definitely. You know, especially in the U.S., the U.S. pays its models the best out of anywhere when it comes to individual shooting the way that freelance models do. Even Canada doesn't really compare to the States. And so because I'm originally Canadian, it's kind of like, you know, I don't mind taking a minor pay cut when I go to Europe, especially because it does get me to go and visit home. And of course, I'm not going to complain about visiting the States and getting paid better, right? So for me as a Canadian model, it's not that big of a deal. I do usually have my going rates in the in Europe a little bit higher than the local European models, mm-hmm. which 
means that I often don't get as many bookings, but also I explain to people, look, you know, I understand that like the last time I went to Europe was before the pandemic. So there's been a lot of changes since as well, I've heard. But Mm -hmm. the last time I was in the UK, for example, the going rate for local models, I think was 50 pounds per hour. And especially if you're going by the number, it's like, oh my God, that's like, that's less than half of my regular rate in terms of numbers, right? And then you have to remember, oh, it's pounds. It's like, it also is worth almost twice as much as my currency, right? So it's not, it's just kind of like, you have to get yourself around that numerical yeah. <laughs> thing. But I would regularly charge at least 60 pounds because it's just like, well, I have to cross the entire Atlantic before I'm even in your area. So, you know, it's up to you if you decide to book me or not. But, you know, I know that I'm going to be providing good quality work and it'll be something different than the local models that you have around. And not to, you know, there's plenty, there's an incredible amount of work in the UK from what I hear. There's a huge model network. The the industry there is quite saturated, but it's also, there's so many photographers and so many models that I've heard that you can fully just be a local UK model and make a living, which is more than I can say, like considering how small the UK is compared to Canada or US, Mm -hmm. in a similar space within Canada, at least, there's no way that I would have enough work to be able to make it a full-time career. So it's pretty amazing that they have that much of a network there. Oh, I didn't know that there was that many models and photographers there compared to other countries, but that's interesting. I don't really know, but that's what I had heard when I was there. Oh, okay. As far as the having to increase your rates in order to make it make sense for mm-hmm. your travel and all that, it kind of reminds mm-hmm. me of going back and forth with with anything. If your rates are lower, you could probably book more work, but then you'd be super slammed. Yeah. And then is it worth it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's very much. I remember when I, so I've been now modeling for 15 years. Wow. And um, it's crazy. <laughs> I've been talking about it a lot lately because it is like it was just became my 15 year anniversary of starting, basically. And, you know, that was before Instagram was around and <laughs> the birth mm-hmm. of the Instagram model. Right. Yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yes. So especially when I started first, I was in university. So it was kind of just like a side thing. You know, it was all trade work you know, still learning the craft and stuff. I mean, my parents are both hobbyist photographers and I have a dance background. So even when I first started out, I already felt like I already know how to do this. <laughs> but I feel like every model thinks that when they first start out, it's like, yeah, I'm the shit. I'm pretty and I can do this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but when I first started charging, I was charging based on the style. So, and especially because when I started, I was predominantly a fashion model. It was, you know, partially that I was trying to keep my rates low for people in the fashion industry because that was the work I wanted and then would charge probably closer to what I should have been charging altogether for any nude work because people were always encouraging me to do nude work from when I was 18. And I, I, you know, like many people in society, I did equate nudity with sexuality when I was that young. And, you know, so I didn't feel comfortable shooting nude. It's just like, this isn't who I am. So it was a really weird situation for the first five years of my career where everyone wanted to shoot me nude. And it it took a little while. Once I started shooting a little bit of nude and then I realized it had nothing to do with sexuality. It's just the beauty of 
the human form and what it's capable of doing. And the way I see it now is that it's kind of like a blank canvas. As soon as you put clothing or anything like that onto a model, you are dating when she is shooting in a way, right? So I really like that art nude is just timeless because there is nothing that can really put you into a date. So there's shots of me from 10 years ago when I started shooting art nude that, you know, because I haven't changed my look significantly and I haven't, I've been avoiding the sun like the plague, I haven't really aged that much. You know, I could probably argue that I shot it two years ago, not 10 years ago, because it's so timeless. Yeah, it's really nice. Um, yeah. Sorry, I have ADHD, so my brain might go like all over the place. No, that's okay. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm fully following and I'm noting that like a lot, I've, I've done I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 of these podcast episodes right now. And there's so many like similarities that I like didn't realize were there were that many like sort of similar things across the board with a lot of us traveling oh, yeah. as models. Like, like yeah. when you start out basing your raids on how much clothes you have. I did that too. I was yeah. like, oh, it's 50 yeah. for fashion, 75 exactly. for bikini. And yeah, looking exactly back that. that I was putting the value on how naked I was instead of how yeah. valuable my time was. Beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and how like you're getting the same amount of skill regardless of the amount of clothing. Right. And then yeah. people would mix and match. They'd be like, okay, I want, cause I used to do like portraits that too. So I would charge $50 for portraits, 65 for fashion because it required a little bit of, you know, effort to make sure that the clothing was nice and stuff right mm -hmm. and, and just like incrementally by 10 10 bucks there for like you know bikini or lingerie or implied or nude right yeah and so people would say okay well uh let's shoot one hour of portraits uh. for 50 bucks per hour and then let's shoot an hour of nudes for an hour so for two hours of my time, I was getting paid 150 bucks, which is my hourly rate now. <laughs> and it's just like, you know, especially when you're touring. Oh, my God. I used to do like three or four shoots per day just to try and make ends meet with all the travel costs. Mm -hmm. I even had one guy one time be like, well, you know, I just want to shoot portraits, but maybe like the last five minutes we can shoot some nude. And it's just like, OK, so how much would that be for five minutes of nude? And it's just like. Okay, like if you're already going to have photos of me nude, period, then I should be getting paid for the entire hour, basically. It's yeah, not, it doesn't it's not about how much time I'm nude. It's like you now have nude images of me. Yeah, there's a certain power in that, too. And I'm not going to, you know, <laughs> it was so dumb. <laughs> I, I think so. Yeah. As as you're describing this, I'm kind of like circling around and wondering because back in the, my early days of modeling and you can tell me if this is true for you also photographers often give newer models advice based on what other models do or what they think models should do and I was charging those tiered rates because photographers suggested oh if you're going to charge you should charge more for nude and less and and I was like oh yeah that's good advice and it was kind of mm -hmm. based on what photographers told did were, was it photographers that told you, oh, I should charge more for this and less for that? Uh, you know, what? I don't even remember. It's so, so long ago now. Yeah. <laughs> I feel so old. <laughs> My back makes me feel old, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mainly. Uh, all those S shapes for hours on end. Oh, my gosh. Maybe it's because those photographers that are suggesting 
to charge more for something and less for something else are going to turn around mm-hmm. and be like, all right, now that you're charging more for this and less for that, let's do two hours of the cheaper one and one hour of the most expensive one so that they can get some kind of a discount. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, I definitely remember photographers giving lots of advice back then. And, and like I said, like so I grew up in Toronto and that's where I started my modeling career realistically. Like I, I was in Ottawa for a little bit, but let's just simplify it and say that I was doing Toronto. And I really didn't really start charging until I was moving away from Toronto. I live on the West Coast now. And it was kind of a little bit of a way of fundraising my travels Mm -hmm. to the West Coast. But even then, I feel like one of the photographers, I still work with him now, uh, he would book me for two hours and pay me a hundred bucks. So even though we were shooting nude and he would argue, well, that's his budget and whatever. And it's just like, well, you know, I'm trying to make as much money as I can so that I can move to BC. So whatever. And it was only once I started traveling back to Toronto from BC that I started, you know, really charging competitive rates because I have a whole flight to cover now. And it was interesting because there was this whole huge network of photographers that I had been working with for five to six years. I I knew them. They knew me. And it was interesting how they slowly dropped off over the years because I had to start charging higher, you know? Yeah. And it's just like there's certain photographers that I used to be really close with that I considered to be really good friends. And I never see them anymore because even when I come to town, I know that I'm out of their budget now and that they're not going to be interested in shooting with me at my current rate. And it's like, oh, oh well, yeah, not but much I can do about that. <laughs> but I, I think that every artist of all genres probably has a similar struggle. Like even if you're a musician and you would go to the local mm-hmm. coffee shop and do a free gig there, you know, to get some free coffee and mm-hmm. some tips, you wouldn't do that if you got famous. Right. Right. Yes. So, and yes. even it is kind of sad in a way, but it's, I suppose, just another form of growth. Well, the thing I think people need to realize too is that uh, just because we are artists and we are passionate about what we do, and, and it's weird too that people are like, well, I only want to work with models who are really passionate about their work <sighs> and therefore don't need to be paid for it. It's just like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Yeah. I have bills just like anyone. Else. And if I wasn't this passionate about it, let me tell you, I wouldn't have made it my full time fucking career. Yeah, okay? like it's good. hard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <sighs> go ahead and work with some really passionate young model who doesn't know where her body starts and ends yet, and work with her for free. And it's just like it's you know it's really ex- important to have those experiences as a younger model or like younger as in less experienced, mm-hmm. because especially when you're starting out and you can see your mistakes in the photos, right? Like that is such an important part of learning about how to be a successful or experienced and talented model. It is a skill set that you need to learn. And same thing for the photographers, mind you, right? One of the things that I say about what I do as a model now is life is full of perfect moments. And we as humans, we're so we're so geared towards looking for that perfection, right? And at the same time, it's like it's around us all the time. It's just that those moments of perfection are so short and fleeting mm-hmm. that if you blink, you miss it, right? Mm-hmm. And so the beauty of photography is that it can capture that moment in time. 
And so my job as a model is to try and line up as many of these kinds of perfect moments as I can together. And then the photographer's job is to try and capture the moment as close to that perfect moment as he can. And both of those timings, it takes time to learn. It takes time to learn how to pose so that it's, you know, and like, I don't know, maybe perfect isn't the right word to use to describe it. But, you know, that aesthetically pleasing thing that we're looking to create. and. At one moment, we were there, you know, even if it's just a second and up to the photographer to be able to, to notice that and actually catch it at the right time. So it's, it's important for both sides to do trade shoots early on so that they can figure that timing out. But after a certain point, it's, you know, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Once you've got it down, then you don't need to sharpen it any further. I mean, there's, there's exactly. always room for improvement and everything. Improvement. But- yeah. But the more you're doing it, if you're going full time, then it's only going to become easier and easier. And honestly, sometimes now I feel like, oh, my gosh, am I working hard enough? Because this just seems so easy because I've just done it so many times. And it's just like, you know, I go through identity crises because it's like, am I actually as good as I think I am? Because this feels way too easy. Like it should feel harder. And it's just like, well, the results are there, though. You know, you're doing a good job. Yeah, I fully understand that, too. And I've felt similar waves where I'm like, all right, was that good? And often later on when I see images, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. The the images are definitely uh, good to see. <laughs> yeah. But we're also our own harshest critics at the same time. Yes, so much so. It's It's so funny, you know, like even like, for example, selfies, okay? I'm not really big into taking selfies all that much, but I'll take selfies if I'm like with a group of friends or something and, you know, because I want to remember the moment. And uh, I regularly, you know, say, yeah, we'll take a couple selfies. You guys can share whichever selfies you want. I don't care. There's plenty of good photos of me. You know what I mean? I don't care if a selfie doesn't look great. Right. And then almost every single time I'll do selfies with just like some like, you know, high school friends or something. And we'll see the photo later. And it's like, oh, my God, these girls are so beautiful. Look at little gremlin me over there. Like, what the hell? And it's just like, (laughs) you know, it's like, I don't care from one perspective because I know that, you know, when I'm doing my work, it's going to be really good. But as soon as there's another person in the photo with me, it's like I'm always the weakest link in my mind. And it's because I'm so critical of myself and not as critical of anyone else. Yeah. Right? I'm sure they probably feel the exact same way the other way around. You know, good to ground yourself that way, too. Yeah. Especially when you're in a photo with somebody else, it's easy to get mm. a bit of body dysmorphia. Yeah, definitely. But um, I, I also model tours are always interesting on that, like the group events, you know. Oh, yeah. I also think that over time, modeling and modeling with others kind of helps get over that like anxiety in a way Mm -hmm. oh absolutely absolutely I think people would be really surprised to hear that I'm actually a very shy person considering what I do Mm -hmm. and I've definitely grown out of my shell since I started 15 years ago like 15 years ago there's no way I would have been doing any of these things you know like there's the, I don't know how much I should be going into my childhood trauma here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's all right. There is definitely, uh, there's definitely an aspect of my childhood that was like, you know, she's the weird Eastern European girl who dresses completely different than the other kids and acts completely different than the other kids. And, you know, is therefore shunned because nobody knows what to do with her. And, you know, that social exclusion and how that shapes your 
idea of who you are. And honestly, I still experience it if I ever, like, I've given up on trying to have regular jobs now. Mm -hmm. But in my 20s, I was definitely still trying to have regular jobs. And, you know, you feel the exclusion even even then with like other adults and it's like, you know, other people at work are going out together for coffees in between and you're never invited. And it's like, Oh my God, I feel like that kid in high school again. Yeah. <laughs> in late twenties. Why do I feel this way? This is so stupid. Right. But you know, where I'm going with this is that this industry has made me feel like my particular quirks and me as a person, I'm val like, I'm not, only valued by the other people in the industry i'm celebrated by the other in people in the industry i go out of the industry and i'm the weirdo again because now i'm talking about nudity like it's nobody's business yeah so, like it's like you know it's totally normal so now i'm weird in regular society because i talk about my body as a toolkit in a way right like it's just so normal to me but it's not normal for other people and yeah. they're just like i am not comfortable talking about nudity who are you i just met you why are you talking about this right so it's just like ah. yes yeah. i fully get that as well because once you are like comfortable as a nude model and you're having a good time yeah. with photographers and models in the industry and stuff, it seems like the nicest, most innocent, like purest way to be. And then when you're yeah, around nothing to hide or be ashamed of in a way. Right. And then when you are around people who are making like sexual comments about boobs or whatever, you're like, you feel a little bit like threatened because you're like, oh, you're going to be yes. like underlining everything that I do with a sexual tone. <laughs> Yes, yes, I very much feel that. I'm not a very sexual person myself. I'm not quite sure why, but um, <laughs> it's, you know, it, there's definitely a purity about nudity, right? It's like, this is how we come into the world. Like, this is our natural state. Like, you don't, I mean, I suppose some people go around dressing their pets. So, you know, but you don't <laughs> shame your pets for being naked either. So why would meant to be the clothing is just to keep warm not any morality thing right and oh my gosh yeah yes yeah it's i always come back to this and i'm very frustrated because we're born without clothes right and it, you can't take them with you when you die and it just yeah, seems exactly. like really strange the way that humans have ended up coming up with our standard norms of what is normal <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and and just the fact that you can't just exist nude either you know like it's a little bit easier in canada and europe actually like definitely compared to to the u.s i'm always so much more nervous when i'm in the states and shooting outdoors but in canada it's kind of like I might be out in the woods shooting with a photographer and somebody might be hiking and they might come across us. And the worst that's going to happen is that they would actually stop and be like, can you not? Even if you say, well, you know, it's a free country and I'm not doing anything lewd. So, no, I'm going to continue doing this. Even if they call the cops, the cops will come and be like, can you not? And then you'll just be like, OK, officer, I'll get dressed and leave. You know, like that's, that's kind of the worst that's going to happen unless you're in like a shopping mall in your lingerie. That's a different story. But <laughs> in the woods, like nothing's going to happen. And more often than not, people will walk by and be like, oh, sorry. And then just mind their own business. You know yeah. what I mean? And in Europe, it's even more so like I find generally people in Europe, it's like if you don't want to see something, then don't look. And that's 
you know, why are you getting up all in my face for doing this? You know, just look the other way and mind your own business and then you won't be offended by any. It's there's a lot of like very pro nude areas, especially in Central Europe around Czech Republic, Austria, Germany. Those countries are very, very easygoing on nudity. Like, you know, like you wouldn't expect somebody to be walking naked in the middle of town either. But if you're by the beach of a river or something, you'll see people of all ages just running around naked. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, it's wholly normal. That does have more normal of a feel when it's just like casual. Yeah. Yeah. The casualty of it. Oh, sorry. No, casualty is a probably different meaning of a word. Uh, showing my immigrantness there. <laughs> but yeah, the casualness of it is uh, definitely incredible. And I mean, you know, of course, it does have it just like any nude beach anywhere. It does have a tendency to be the older gentlemen who are experiencing this. But, you know, like <laughs> that's actually one topic that I'm quite passionate about is, you know, part of the problem is that female bodies are so insanely over-sexualized. Meanwhile, male bodies are highly under-sexualized. And we feel like our society would really benefit from everybody gifting themselves an art nude experience with a photographer who knows what they're doing. Because really, like, for example, dick pics, right? To me, a dick pic is a man trying to sexualize himself, not sexualize a woman. But, you know, it's so hard for them to, like, Think about how male nude bodies are generally portrayed or depicted in movies, right? Either they're the really, really like rock hard abs, like superhero body type, uh, where then in those situations they're being sexualized. Or they're the scrawny, pale white kid that just happened to get caught with his underwear down or like his pants down. And now everybody's pointing and laughing. There's only those two extremes for male nudity, right? Whereas female nudity... There's like this whole range of personas that we can put on. We could be thoughtful. We could be vulnerable. We could be happy. We could be sad. You know, like there's so many different possibilities for female nudity. And so, you know, there's this guy who's just trying to figure out how to sexualize himself. So he decides to take a dick pic and he sends it to some poor unsuspecting girl. Now she's so used to being over-sexualized that she's now pissed off of like, how can you just send me a dick pic without any, you know, any message beforehand? Context or anything. (laughs) Right? Context or anything. And she's just like, screw you for sexualizing me. And he's like, well, screw you for not sexualizing me. And like, neither side gets what they want, right? Right. So it's kind of like, it's, I'm, I, I think it would be really great to see more art nudes of men, even though I don't personally really find men all that attractive. But, you know, I think it's really important for them to be able to experience the same kind of empowerment, vulnerability, like all the different things that we experience when we're shooting art, like on our own and how they can discover that nudity isn't connected to sexuality because I think especially for men they're only nude if they're showering or if they're having sex right like it's so rare for men to be actually free to be nude unless they're just in their own homes but even then I feel like most guys will usually cover up I don't know I also know about the nudists but (laughs) that's a very interesting topic because like oftentimes like of the average mind if you're thinking of a man wanting to get naked I assume he's doing it because he wants to have sex because in yeah, my experience, of some sort. in my experience, men typically tend to be more sexually motivated yes. or aggressive in some ways. Definitely. 
But it, I do think that having great photos of themselves would be like a good feeling for them. But I have also learned or I don't know, learned is the right word, but I've heard and you can tell me what your perspective is on this, that women are like the exhibitionists and men are like, oh, my God, what's the word where they they like to view they, the warriors. warriors. Yes. They like to mm-hmm. look at the women who are like being the exhibitionists because when we're modeling, we are like getting something out of it. Like when we're as as women, when we're modeling, it feels like a feminine expression in a way or an expression of self. Yeah, those goddess vibes, right? It's just yeah. like here I am in all my great glory and you just grovel over there and take photos. Yeah. <laughs> Can you see that I uh I identify with goddess vibes a lot when I'm Yes, I have noticed that actually. <laughs> and then then with men, like I've posed with men a few times and it mm-hmm. oftentimes because women are generally more often the ones that are being the models, we have kind mm-hmm. of like hand gestures and like ways that we mm-hmm. move our hips and things that are yeah. feminine. And yeah. it, it doesn't always come off the same with a man who's trying to be masculine with with right. the posing and the moving so it, it, right. it is different and how do they express themselves in a way that expresses mm-hmm. their masculinity mm-hmm. well i think that masculinity on its own is a really is a really loaded word right it's yes. like like what do you think is masculine being the protector okay well you know a lot of i feel like a lot of my posing actually i studied english literature in university a lot of my posing actually comes from figuring out who my character is in the situation. Mm-hmm. Now, usually you figure out your ca- character based on what are you wearing and what's around you, right? In my case, it's like, okay, I'm nude, but where am I? Who am I? You know what I mean? And so, for example, if I'm in a forest, like, am I part of a forest? Am I personifying the forest? Or am I a person in the forest? And how do I feel about being in that forest, right? And both of these can be completely, they completely shape the way that you pose in that situation, right? So for example, if I'm, if I am personifying the forest, let's say, okay, maybe I'm posing a couple times with my arms up in kind of tree-like, you know, like um, branch-like ways and, you know, things like that. Or maybe, you know, if I'm like a spirit of the tree, maybe I'm looking at the people who are traveling through my forest, right? How do I feel about these people? Are they there peacefully or are they there fucking shit up? Am I, you know, it just completely changes your your facial expressions on on things like that based on how you're thinking about the lens, right? The lens being the people who are traveling through the forest. Mm-hmm. Or then on the flip side, okay, maybe I'm one of these people in this forest. Am I a person? Am I a fairy? Am I a goddess? Right? Like it's even just those three different characters already completely change how you're going to be behaving in that forest. If you're a person, you might be completely just in awe of how majestic this forest is and how big it is and, you know, things like that. Or if you're a goddess, again, you're there and you're like, okay, this is where I belong. This is my domain. And, you know, you better watch out because if you were fucking shit up in my forest, then I might smite you. Right. Or like things like that. And that's a lot of what I think about when I'm posing. And so even um, there's a photographer locally to me and he's he's a nudist. And I'm so proud of him because I uh, encouraged him and inspired him to start shooting self-portraits of himself. And you know, as he's 
traveling around, he'll take his kayak out to a little island and take some self-portraits in, in nature and things like that. And uh, I sometimes even photograph him. And before I went on this tour, I was photographing him and he was, you know, kind of asking me for for model coaching and things like that while he was posing because, mm-hmm. you know, he has some basic poses that he likes to do and to hear my perspective on things. And it's just like this character-based posing style is one really great way to go about it. But then there's also, you know, what shapes can I create with my body as a completely opposite perspective on how to pose in those situations or you know just exploring your body how much can i stretch how much can i contract myself into a little ball and you know how much can i twist you know all of these kinds of things and i feel like a lot of the appreciation that models get for their body is that they are experiencing this on a day-to-day basis of what's my range of motion today what can my body do for me that i think regular body like regular people don't think about those things right they just look in the mirror and they probably have terrible lighting in their house and they've got a top-down view because that's where our eyes are right so they just look in the mirror and they're like oh I hate the way I look I mean half the time I hate the way that I look when I look in the mirror too because I have the exact same situation shitty lighting and top-down view right photographers can find that perfect angle to show how beautiful every person is and I really do have a belief that everyone has inherent beauty about them they just need to find the right angle and the right lighting to highlight that beauty and i suppose Um, a bit of a creative mind or a mindset where they're trying to you know emulate something mm -hmm. as you've been describing yeah i think it would be so healing for like all the body image issues and honestly like when you don't feel good about yourself going about your day-to-day life you're going to be more likely to be shitty to other people too, because, you know, there's going to be more jealousy of like, you know, you see someone who you think looks really good and, you know, either you think that they think they're better than you or you wish you were like them or whatever the the situation might be. Right. I, I don't personally experience this, but I could, I couldn't envision that people would feel this way. And then, you know, how are you going to behave towards those people just because you've made these prejudices towards them based on how they look. Right. And, how much the society could heal if everyone just felt a little bit more comfortable in their own skin. I fully agree. And by the way, I've got to do a a slight reroute on you because I've got a couple of questions that I need to ask before we get out of this episode. So kind of rounding back to people maybe not being able to express themselves the way that they need to, or perhaps people who have Mm -hmm. intentions that are misconstrued. I have a segment of my podcast called the Photoshoot Fail of the Week. Can you describe a scenario where you had a photo shoot that was just kind of off the wall and memorable, either because the scenario around the shoot itself was crazy or the photographer's themselves were crazy honestly i've been really lucky and i don't have too many horror stories on photographers i feel like i'm i'm pretty picky about who i work with being good people necessarily like more necessary for them to be good people than for them to be good photographers Mm -hmm. more likely to shoot with somebody who's newer but is a decent human than somebody who's incredible but they're look on something as well you'd be so lucky to shoot with me and it's like well i don't want to shoot with you then sorry (laughs) but one 
situation that does stand out is this the first time I went to Florida. So I've been thinking about it a fair bit lately because I was just there again. So, you know, this was back in 2018. It was pretty early in me deciding to go full-time international travel modeling. And uh, I flew down to Miami, which I did not know at the time the kind of industry that Miami specifically has. It has a lot more fetish and porn type of work. And yeah. so it, that alone was really difficult for me to deal with because I am kind of more of a airy fairy kind of purity perspective on my work. I, I always kind of think to myself, I want to be shooting stuff from a loving, sensual gaze rather than a lustful, sexual gaze. Yeah. So absolutely, I have some very sensual work, but I wouldn't consider it to be sexual in nature. So the photographer was picking me up from the airport, which was nice of him. But you know, and he had shared what his vehicle looks like. He had shared his, you know, license plate with me and everything. And he was picking me up at the airport and we were in contact together. Right. So I had no second thoughts on getting into this strange person's vehicle. Right. Because as far as I was concerned, they weren't strange. They were part of the same industry. I had some expectations of what it would be like to be working with them, etc. Right. And so he his car rolls up and it's like a van. And I open the back, I throw my bags in, close the door, open the front door, start climbing in. And as I'm climbing in, this guy is like, so do you get into just any stranger's car? Oh and it's just like, um, like, no, but like now that you ask me, I'm really like concerned about getting into your car, even though like it was already premeditated in a way, right? This is like, yeah. I knew this was happening. So it was just like, but at that point, like my bags are already in there. Like, what am I going to do? <laughs> You know, like I should have probably been like, uh, no, we're done here. Thank you. Taking my bags back. I'll take a taxi. Thank you very much for your time. Sorry. <laughs> Canceling our shoot. And it's probably what I should have done. But, you know, it was pretty early in me doing the international thing. So it was just like, OK, I guess I'm just getting in this car anyways. And this guy, he said he was a cop, which, you know, I've I've worked with cop photographers in the past and had no problems whatsoever. So it was a very strange situation. He was very rough around the edges. He his his language was very crass and very rough. And I think he was just driving me to my Airbnb that particular day. We weren't even shooting that day. We were shooting the next day. So I actually met up with this person twice. <laughs> uh, and like I said, very kind of him to pick me up from the airport. That saved me a fair bit of money to, you know, not have to deal with getting an Uber or something. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's not that I'm ungrateful. It was just definitely an, an odd situation. And then at the shoot the next day, at one point, I don't really remember too much of the shoot, but one thing I do remember about the shoot is that at one point he said, okay, now turn your twat towards me. And it's just like, <laughs> um, uh, I have never had that part of my body called that. And I don't really shoot open leg, right? Like a lot of people will know me because of my Playboy work. But even my Playboy work, when I first worked with them, I had told them that I don't shoot open leg. And they were like, yeah, that's fine. You know, it's going under different ownership and stuff like that. So that's not not a problem. And then, you know, we get to the shoot. We drive like five hours out of Vancouver to some middle of nowhere place. They spray tan me head to toe. And, you know, we don't even shoot that day. We sleep there that night and then the next day the makeup artist is doing up my hair and makeup and she gives me this big very voluminous hair which is beautiful but it's also like my hair like it's 
difficult to get my hair to have volume. So, you know, you end up having this kind of helmet of hair yeah. that is very big, right? And then these fake lashes and overdrawn lips. And like, it was beautiful. You know, it definitely gave me Argentinian Mamacita kind of soap opera vibes, which is a look. It's a great look. It's But it's also very much not my look. You know yeah. what I mean? And then, you know, they've already spent all this time getting me to this location getting me dolled up and tanned for this shoot. And then they're like, okay, can you open your lights more? And it's just like, well, I had agreed that, you know, I thought I didn't have to do that. You said that it was fine not to shoot any open leg. And now it's just like, well, you know, that's what they want. And they're going to want photos of that, even if you don't look good in them. So it's better to pose more of that. So they have more options to choose from. And it's like, oh, well, I'm kind of screwed now, aren't I? Like, I mean, I could just be like, I'm not in, I'm not okay with this take me back home but it's a five-hour drive that would be so awkward right oh my god whatever I'm I'm already here whatever you know just fucking deal with it right and so yeah it's I definitely do not feel comfortable shooting that style so for this Florida photographer to be like turn your twat towards me it was just like particularly jarring (laughs) but you know those are some of the situations that I think all models experience at certain points where they're not entirely sure how to deal with this request and like how do you you know yeah at this point it's like I still don't really shoot that style but I also know that content is out there so it's like why am I so protective of that from some perspective right it doesn't really matter but at the same time it's just like that's not the story that I want to tell yeah and I want to tell the goddess stories <laughs> also just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should if you don't feel good yep. doing it and just exactly. because those pictures are already on the internet doesn't mean that other yeah. people have the right for you to perform that for them totally totally 100 percent. and side note the only time a photographer has ever referred to my vagina as a twat was in New Jersey. So I wonder if he was from New Jersey. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It, it, it's, I don't know. They're very crass up there. Oh, interesting. Good to know. Good to know. Maybe I should avoid that area. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wouldn't throw it off like altogether. I would just say that like in general, the culture is a little bit more crass in like the Jersey mm-hmm. area and any photographers or people listening that want to message later and, and confirm or deny if that's true. I'm open to that. Yeah. Um, I mean, cause that's the other thing, right? The photographers that we work with have a tendency to be of a certain generation of a certain, you know, different mindset than maybe people would have these days too. Yeah. The culture clash, or should I say the generational clash between photographers and models is often like the, it does yes. seem to often be like, boomers versus like gen z or millennials (laughs) totally (laughs) i have another question that i have to ask you Mm -hmm. this one i call the rising phoenix era of your life Mm -hmm. can you describe something in your life whether it's related to your modeling career or not you can choose you know whatever you want to talk about where you were mm-hmm. faced with some kind of a challenge that you had to overcome, whether it was a, a career change, a change in your mentality or in your perhaps like confidence or a situation in your mm-hmm. life that you were faced with that you had to overcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's two main ones that I can think of. One is a little bit more extreme and the other one is just a little bit more 
you know, that's just how how it was. We could do um, both. If which you one know. would you prefer? Yeah. Okay. Both is fine. Um, all right. All right. So the first one, I, I already mentioned that my parents are photographers. So in a way, like I started modeling 15 years ago, as in I started modeling with people that were not my parents 15 years ago. But especially like in my teens, you know, because I, I did, I play music, I sing, I dance, I have a whole bunch of other creative interests. So when I was younger, when I was, in, you know, 14, 15 years old, when most fashion models would be starting up, right? Nobody thought of me to be a model, you know? Most people were like, oh, you know, she's so pretty. You should put her into like pageants and stuff like that. Now I have done a couple of pageants and, you know, both of them, I think I was kind of like, I was asked to be part of them. So it was just like, yeah, sure, whatever. I'll just do it for the fun of it, whatever. Didn't take it too seriously or anything. But I always felt like pageants are... To me, they're very much about the individual and how great that individual is, how talented that individual is, how beautiful that individual is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And to me, that's just like, I'm not a very boastful person. At least I don't think I am. Sometimes I can be a little bit on my high horse and maybe make some boastful comments, I suppose. But in general, I'm not one to point out my own greatness. So it's weird for me that people wanted me to be in these situations. It wasn't until my brother started dating his now wife. So, and I mean, I've known her my entire life. She was our next door neighbor in Czech Republic, but Aww. you know, she's a, she's a whole head taller than me. So it wasn't until they started dating and she used to, you know, come and visit us in Canada for a couple of months at a time when I was 14, she was 15, etc. It wasn't until then that all of the people around us were like, oh, you know, she's so beautiful and tall. You should get her into like the agencies and blah, blah, blah. She'd be a great fashion model. Right. And when I heard that, it was just like, oh, yeah, that's something I'd enjoy. Like, I always enjoy doing a photo shoot with my parents because they would shoot my my dance studio shots and stuff like that for the whole studio when we had competitions or end of the year photo shoots and stuff. My parents were often the ones who were doing those photos and they would do their tests with me and stuff like that. Right. So it was like, yeah, I love doing that kind of stuff. I would totally enjoy it. So, you know, when she had first called an agency, she got in basically right away. So she was like, yeah, just call them, you know, whatever. So when I called my first agency, and I think it was Sutherland Models because that's who she had gone with. And they basically picked up the phone. I said I wanted to model. They said, how tall are you? I said, five, five. <laughs> I now say that I'm five, six because I'm five, five and a half. So I'm going to round up. You know what I mean? Okay. But like at the time, I was like, I don't know, five, five. And they're like, you're too short. Click, hung up. Right. And uh-huh. it's just like, that was it. Right. And it's just like, oh, my God. So I used to have a fair bit of jealousy around my my sister-in-law because she did have a lot of opportunities given to her in many ways because of her height. But I also have come to realize that if it hadn't been for her, I probably would have never gotten a start. And she pulled me through everything with her. You know what I mean? Maybe it took me longer to get there. But, you know, she went to the agency. She learned that model mayhem exists. So she told me about Model Mayhem. So for a year, I was on Model Mayhem working on my portfolio. And then I had a portfolio to show to these agencies, despite my height, right? And my entire career as a fashion model was fighting tooth and nail, just trying to stay in the industry because everywhere I went, I was too short. Doesn't matter how skillful I was. And so from a lot of perspectives, it's just like, okay, I'm short. I have to be better than the taller girls. I have no option but to be better than the taller girls, because that's the only way I'm going to get into the door. And that was how I dealt with it for a really long time. 
In fact, a lot of the times as a fashion model, I was considered an alt model, even though I have no tattoos or piercings. Mm. Like I have my ears pierced, but that's it, right? Yeah. Because I was shorter and I was curvier. Like I at the time when I first started, I had a 21 inch waist. So all the corsetry designers, they loved me because I could really make their corsets look like they really brought you in. doesn't matter that my waist was already kind of small, so it was easy to pull it in even closer, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of my fashion days were actually, in a way, alt model type stuff. So that was one thing where I was just like, you know, really fighting for, for being there and, and showing up and being ultra professional and ultra skillful and just ultra polite, ultra friendly, all of that. And then I totally thought when I was moving away from Toronto to BC, I thought I was basically committing career suicide right there. Because, I mean, we I moved to Victoria, BC. Like, that's the, the capital of BC. But it's small. It's really small. Yeah. <laughs> like, Vancouver is theoretically close by, but it's easily a four-hour trek to get there, you know, with driving and taking the ferry and then driving again on the other side. Like, it's it's not easy to get to Vancouver. And Vancouver is really expensive, too. So it's like, well, I don't want to move to Vancouver. I don't want to live in Vancouver. So I totally thought I was committing career suicide there. But then I had an agency there that got me my first international contract to Japan and India. So, you know, I ended up and the fact that I had to start traveling to Toronto for the next couple of years. That was the start of my solo travel as well and organizing things. And it was after my tour to India, actually, that was a really bad experience for me because I didn't know when I went to India that I'm a super taster. I always knew that I was kind of uh, sensitive to spice, but I didn't realize that I was sensitive to all flavor. Oh. Yeah. So, you know, other models that had gone to India had told me, oh, don't worry, you can find mild foods. It's no problem. But for me, it was just, it was really bad. I became, so I was supposed to be there for five months on contract. And uh, very quickly, I discovered that I couldn't eat anything. Like either it was too spicy or too flavorful, I should say, for me to get anything even past my lips. Or it was mild enough, but it wasn't disinfected by all the spices. So oh. it would just go right through me. And it was just, I shrunk so fast there. I, at one point I was down to a hundred pounds, which I hadn't been a hundred pounds since I was like in grade nine. You know what I mean? Like oh. it was dangerous. I ended up after two years, two, not two years, two months. <laughs> after two months, I was hospitalized and put on an IV drip for seven hours just oh to get God. more nutrients in me. And only then did the agency over there, because I was on contract, I couldn't just leave. If I wanted to leave, I had to pay out that contract. And oh. it was like $2,000 or something to do that, plus get my own flight back home. Oh my God. So it was basically like, you know, I was screwed, right? So only after I was hospitalized did they believe me. Of course, I couldn't do anything. And so they finally got me a flight home and let me leave my contract. Right. Wow. Yeah. There were other terrible situations that were also added into that whole experience. But when I got home, I gave myself six weeks to get over it all. And I told myself, "Okay, I've fallen off the horse. It's time for me to get right back on. Otherwise, I might not get back on ever. And it's I'm not about to let one particular person was particularly problematic, let's say, while I was in India. Yeah, so I was sexually assaulted while I was there. And thankfully, it wasn't an extreme sexual assault, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Mind you, I'm not about to minimize what happened to me. I definitely expressed that I was not interested. I definitely said no. And so, you know, there's all that. 
happened there. Sorry. Um, I'm thankful that it wasn't more extreme is I guess what people are like, don't minimize it. And at the same time, it's just like, well, I wasn't raped, you know, at least I wasn't raped because I think I would have struggled with that a lot more than what happened to me. Right. I know that there is from certain perspectives, a spectrum of how extreme sexual assault can be. And I'm thankful that mine was on the milder of the sides. Uh, So, you know, I kind of gave myself six weeks and I said to myself, you know, it's time to get right back on. I'm not about to let this idiot asshole in India take away something that I love. And that's when I started traveling on my own and decided I'm never giving somebody else control over whether or not I can go home. Hmm. And yeah, so I guess those are those are already the two things. So the fact that I was, you know, fighting tooth and nail in the fashion industry and then the India situation. So I don't usually talk about it very publicly. I'm usually open about it person to person, like privately. But yeah, this is my first time kind of uh, mentioning it publicly. So wow. <laughs> yeah, thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing that that part of your experience. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, from certain perspectives, it was right around the Me Too movement that all of that was happening, too. So it was just it was just very shocking to me that that was something that happened. Somehow I had been uh, very protected from a young age that I felt like sexual assault and specifically rape was like something that happened in the Middle Ages, not something that women today still have to deal with. You know what I mean? It was it was a really big wake up call for me. Uh, but mm. at the same time, learned so much about myself from that experience. And, you know, even like my super tasting, like I have become more experimental in what I'm willing to try now because I know, whereas before I knew, I just thought I was sensitive and I'd have one bite and say, nope, too spicy, not going to eat it. So, you know, there's there's a lot of benefits that came out of those terrible experiences too, that, you know, I, I think I focus on those mainly so I avoid feeling like a victim definitely focusing on yeah I'm a survivor of that and I'm in some ways stronger for it you know no that's good and it, that's a very it made you make the decision <laughs> to become independent in your modeling instead of relying on somebody else kind of holding you accountable to be you know following through with the contract you weren't able to leave okay. that country until you went to the hospital that's messed up yeah yeah. yeah, it was it was definitely a tough thing. Mind you, there were plenty of people there who like legitimately without their help. There were a lot of really caring people, too, that really helped me survive the situation. And I don't really talk to any of them anymore. I do have them on various social media. And I do think about them here and there. And I think to myself how, how grateful I am that they were there for me. You know, so it wasn't all bad in, in India as either. And the further the time goes by, the more I can remember the good times rather than just the really challenging difficult times that's good so that's good I I think I also have a tendency to minimize things like sexual assault or like not put a label to what happened until like years later and then realize oh that was more messed up than I really was thinking of it at the time but yeah I think it's part of, and I won't go too far into this because we're, we're getting close to the time that I usually wrap up and Mm -hmm. I don't want to take advantage of your time. But, (laughs) but I do want to say though that I feel that when something like that is occurring and you are like in that moment in the time that you're being approached or like somebody's crossing your boundary, I, and I know that many others experience this too, have a response, like a freeze and fawn where I freeze and I don't want to react to, to cause the situation to become worse than it already is. And I fawn 
to try to make that person happy to try yeah. and but I also try to to make it like make it stop but more like pleading like please no and, yeah not right. like a I'm gonna kick your ass because obviously I'm not kicking anybody's ass you know yeah right I'm yeah, I've been to take martial arts ever since yeah it's just like yeah 100 percent. I that's definitely what I discovered on that and I'm so thankful too that he wasn't a photographer the guy who who assaulted me mm-hmm. he was a film producer or a director or some shit like that and oh. I feel like you know I've always wanted to act and I feel like I'm like regularly self-sabotaging myself because of these experiences and at the same time it's like I think I would be really great with acting if I really put myself into it because I am a bit of a perfectionist so it's kind of like am I really gonna let this person have control over whether or not I even try to get into something different like I I don't want that to be my narrative but at least he wasn't a photographer because I don't know if I would have had the strength to put myself into situations with people if I had known, if he had been a photographer, I would have, you know, projected that onto other photographers. And even though I had already been shooting for 10 years at that point, and like, oh my gosh, even from that perspective, I was 27 when this happened to me. Mm-hmm. Imagine if I was some 15 year old, fresh, brand new fashion model being sent on her first contract. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm so glad that I already had, but definitely the freeze and fawn especially because I was already very, very malnourished when this happened. So it's just like, I can barely stand up at this point. You know what I mean? Like I have to sit down and rest regularly because I don't have enough nutrients to give me like any kind of energy. What am I going to do? Right? Like there's nothing like when I got back, because that was in Mumbai that that happened. And I was stationed in Bangalore on that contract. So it was only once I got back to Bangalore that I was really like, thankfully it happened like the night last night that I was in Mumbai. When I got back and all the, you know, makeup artists and stylists at the agency in Bangalore, they were like, well, why didn't you slap him? Then he would have understood that you meant no. And it's uh-huh. like, no, my no should have been enough. Like, sorry, in my culture, it's not common to just randomly slap a random man. Yeah, and he could probably slap harder back, too. So it's kind exactly. of Exactly. Uh... I'm not about to do that, especially when I'm malnourished, right? So it was like, just yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. Scary situations. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that Sorry you're on like such a negative point. <laughs> no, I, I, I really don't do so. love I what I do. So there's something to learn from every vulnerable story that people share. And I, I'm grateful yeah. that you did share it and you, you did become stronger for it in the end. So that, that is a yeah. positive note. Totally. Yeah. And sometimes that's how we learn is through having to be faced with some challenge that like throws us off a little bit. Honestly, I don't think we learn in any way else other than through failure. I teach ballroom dance as well on the side. And cool. That's like the number one thing that I tell my students. Don't be afraid to fail. The fact that you're already here, that's already a success. You're going to fail a million times before you get this pattern down. And people need to not be as afraid of failure because failure is how we learn. If you don't fail, you're not going to learn. And I agree. Yeah. Some that's- failures are bigger than others. That's really good advice. Anyways, I will let you end this. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> I'm a, my nickname for myself is Talkative Tina. Because Tina is, uh, and I usually introduce myself to people as well when I when I meet them in person, just call me Tina. That's still not my real legal name, but <laughs> okay. Talkative Tina is one of our TMI Tina, too. It's just like, yeah, I, I never shut up. So... <laughs> Well, I really enjoyed doing the session with you, and I'll love to have you back for another episode in the future also. Yeah, I'd love to.
Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Marina, or Tina, as I may (laughs) refer to you as now. I'll talk to you again soon. For sure. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Bye.